welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, RFERL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guests today are two of my esteemed colleagues, Carl Schreck and Andrei Soshnikov. Carl, uh, an award-winning investigative journalist who's covered Russia and the former Soviet Union, uh, the rest of the former Soviet Union, for more than 20 years, is the enterprise editor here at RFERL. Welcome, Carl. Thank you. Great to be here, Steve. All right. Uh, great to have you. And Andre uh, is an investigative journalist and web editor for Current Time, the Russian language network run by RFERL in cooperation with Voice of America. Andre, great to have you on the podcast. Hello. Uh, good to be here. All right. Thanks for joining us. Now, um, the reason these two hard-hitting investigative reporters are my guests is that they were both deeply involved in a fascinating and highly informative five-part investigative report that RFERL wrapped up just last week, focusing on President Vladimir Putin's early years in politics. The investigation uh, unearthed a trove of important details that I'd say might otherwise have been pretty much lost to history. Uh, it shed a lot of light on the scandals, secrets, and the scent of corruption that swirled around Putin in the 1990s, and particularly the early 90s when he was deputy mayor of St. Petersburg and head of a trade office within Mayor Anatoly Subchak's city government, uh, the External Relations Committee. Now, the title of the investigative series is The Committee Men. Uh, and you can read it on RFERL's English language website, rferl.org, uh, and in Russian on the sites of Current Time, that's currenttime.tv, and RFERL's Russian service, which is svoboda.org. Uh, now, we're going to talk uh, about the final installment of this investigation first. Before we do, though, uh, I'll just quote from the overall introduction uh, to the Committee Men series. It says that during his first presidential campaign in 2000, Putin pledged to turn a chaotic country plagued, plagued by corruption into a just and orderly state. He promised, quote, a dictatorship of the law. But his own long rule has been marred by allegations of corruption from the start and even before the start. And from, by before the start, I mean before he ruled, uh, when he was still in St. Petersburg, years before uh, the longtime Soviet KGB officer became prime minister in 1999, and was handed the presidency by Boris Yeltsin on the last day of that year. But as I said, uh, let's start with the final story in the series. Now, a number of our colleagues contributed to the broader project, which is really an amazing joint effort. But this particular piece was reported and written by Andre and Carl. And it jumps forward a few years uh, from the others. The uh, brutal, fatal beating that it examines uh, occurred in August 1998 one month after Putin became head of the Federal Security Service, the FSB. And the victim of the beating, journalist Anatoly Levin-Utkin, had worked on an article that was published less than two weeks before his beating, um, in an, uh, an article that alleged that Putin's appointment uh, as FSB director was unlawful, 
and also revealed details um, about his doings back in St. Petersburg in the early 90s. Andre and Carl, you guys really broke ground on this, I think. Tell us about the story and, and how you reported it. Andre, do you want to start? Uh, thank you, Steve. Um, first of all, uh, I must say that uh, 1998 uh, was a very good year for Russian journalism. Uh, independent news outlets were flourishing. There were f- absolutely free uh, TV channels that were covering uh, most of the Russian territory. So lots of uh, clever minds uh, decided uh, that they can profit uh, from delivering uh, honest uh, journalism, deeper analysis and um, investigations uh, to their audience. And there was a small group of journalists in St. Petersburg uh, that just uh, created their own newspaper called uh, uh, Legal St. Petersburg Today. And uh, despite uh, the scientific uh, headline of the newspaper, from their first um, um, from their f- first issues, uh, they were covering uh, very sensitive uh, topics like uh, corruption and scandals in the banking uh, sector. And in their second uh, issue, they decided uh, to publish a biography of uh, the new head of the FSB, Russian uh, most um, uh, influential um, uh, secret service. And uh, it was uh, Vladimir Putin who uh, was just appointed uh, the head of this uh, secret service. And their biography was the first one that uh, was uh, so deep um, and uh, was published um, uh, in a, with a very big uh, circulation, uh, 31,000 copies that were delivering uh, free uh, with no price uh, to people and to some uh, companies and government organizations. And Anatoly Levinutkin, um, the hero of our last but, last but not least part uh, of the investigation project, was uh, an editor and journalist uh, for this newspaper. He was not um, an investigative journalist in a classic sense, but he... Um, was participating uh, in collecting uh, information from archives and libraries. Uh, He was very aware of how to collect uh, documents and uh, find old newspapers. And he contributed uh, to this article about Vladimir Putin by uh, visiting archives and various libraries. And uh, as you, Steve, uh, said, uh, just a week after this uh, story was published uh, in the late summer of 1998, uh, he was beaten um, brutally uh, near his uh, home in St. Petersburg and um, some documents, cash and briefcase um, carrying material for the newspaper's next issue uh, were taken from him. And uh, as uh, the NGO, the watchdog uh, for freedom of speech, uh, claim uh, by quoting uh, the doctor 
that tried to save uh, Anatoly Levin's uh, Utkin's uh, life, uh, uh, he quote uh, unquote deliberately was deliberately beaten with excessive brutality and cruelty. End of quote. And uh, uh, I also must mention that. Uh, Several days before he was beaten, um, according to the former editor, editor of chief of this newspaper, um, there was a meeting uh, between uh, this editor of chief uh, in chief and uh, a person close to Putin discussing uh, the, the latest issue of this newspaper and this person. Again, according uh, to former editor-in-chief, uh, was asking about the sources, uh, financial sources of uh, the newspapers and uh, the sources for uh, the investigation about Putin. And last but not least, they didn't like the photo they put uh, in the newspaper. So we don't have a direct um, proof that uh, Putin was involved anyway. Uh, in this brutal murder, but uh, uh, as you can see um, uh, in the later days of Putin in power, uh, several journalists were sent to prison and uh, beaten uh, and killed uh, in Russia. So we definitely can't call Vladimir Putin a friend of freedom of speech. So it's kind of an early... uh indication of how things were, you know, I mean, looking forward of how things were going to go for journalists. So you're saying, uh, did, did I get this right, that um, shortly after this article digging into Putin's uh, past was published, somebody who, according to the editor-in-chief of this uh, newspaper, was close to Putin, um, expressed interest and, and came around asking about, you know, where where the paper was getting its money and uh, where it was getting its information. Exactly. Okay, so um, let's uh, just uh, turn to Carl. Uh, Carl, how, how did you, um, uh, you know, go about your, your part in reporting the story and what does it mean to you? Well, um, this was a really interesting story for me, um, in part because, as you alluded to earlier, a lot of our project dealt in details that seem to have been long forgotten. And this was an absolutely savage, uh, fatal beating of Anatoly Levin-Utkin. It's essentially been lost to history, um, even though it was, what, uh, only a quarter century ago. Uh, you know, what struck me at first was how little information there was out there about this case, um, except for, you know, basically those media watchdog lists of, of um, killed journalists. You know, there, would be, there was, you know, a little two-sentence uh, snapshot of Anatoly Levin-Utkin. Uh, but beyond that, was, there was nothing. We couldn't even find a photograph of him. The only photograph we found was uh, in a library archive of his own newspaper with an obituary and uh, an associate that had a photo uh, of him that he, that he gave to us. Um, and, uh, so a lot of it was, um, you know, the, the work and Andre did most of the work was basically tracking down, um, people close to, or associates of, uh, Levin-Utkin around the time to try to fill in these massive, uh, gaps of, you know, if this had happened today, uh, you know, this would be a, you know, a major story, uh, all over the world. Um, 
and you know this guy does does not have the the name recognition of uh, Anna Polikovskaya, for example. Uh, but you know we felt his story uh, deserved to be told. Um, and one thing that really struck me as well when when we talked about the Putin associate who allegedly came and was asking about the financing is is how it really echoes, um, uh, you know, how Putin has gone after the after the press, particularly in the last uh, in the last ten years. Um, you know, essentially where any sort of critical reporting is essentially uh, essentially deemed basically a foreign propaganda plot, you know, uh, uh, spearheaded by uh, by foreigners seeking to to undermine Russian sovereignty. And, um, you know, this was the account of the editor in chief who talked about this Putin associate. Uh, the Putin associate, we we reached him and he denied it. Um, which, of course, is his prerogative, I would say that the editor-in-chief gave a very detailed account of exactly where they met, um, what was said. Um, so if uh, the editor-in-chief was indeed fabricating the story, he went to, to uh, great lengths to provide uh, uh, many minute details about this. Right, and I think uh, it's uh, the, the investigations says that, uh, in fact, this meeting took place, according to the editor-in-chief, at a McDonald's in uh, in central St. Petersburg. Uh, so, you know, some, some details there. Um, and it does strike me also uh, just, you know, you mentioned the way Putin has gone after uh, journalists, independent journalists. Obviously, you know, independent journalism and, and independent media have been a huge target of the the clampdown that has really intensified even you know since the uh, invasion of ukraine in february and also over the past uh, couple of years um in russia um you know but it's something uh there were several journalists uh uh you know were killed in in the 90s and the 2000s um and uh I guess this one is perhaps the first, Anatoly Levin Utkin, uh, you know, who uh, has any kind of link uh, to to Putin in that he was reporting on Putin's past when he was killed. Sorry. Uh, so let's uh, go on. Uh, so I mean, I, I really found that that article uh, fascinating about Levin Utkin. Um, you know, I, I have been covering Russia for uh, 30 years or so, and I don't think I was there at that time. But I don't remember, you know, before before you guys, um, you know, did this this investigation, I don't think I had heard of Anatoly Levin Utkin. So, you know, it's really something that's that I think you're really bringing to light. Um, but let's uh, talk now about the, the whole project, uh, the whole series, the, the committee men. It's really a bunch of very interesting, very revealing stories about Putin and those around him at the time. Now, this is going back further than uh, earlier than, than 1998 um, to the early 90s um, when, when Putin was working in St. Petersburg uh, as the head of this external relations committee. There, there's Colombian cocaine smuggled into Russia in corned beef cans. That's one of that's the focus of one of the stories. There's a fake chemical compound called red mercury uh, that was being touted as having 
alleged uh, nuclear um, uses or uh, and, and there are plenty of bribery scandals and a lot more and all of it tied together I guess by the involvement of Putin's external relations committee in the St. Petersburg city government. Uh, Carl and Andre, tell us uh, some more about, about this investigation, what you found, how you found it, and, and what it says about Putin. And, and I guess maybe uh, what you found most interesting about it. Carl, maybe you go first this time. Yeah, so, um, you know, what I would... Uh, you know, what I would say is that the idea with this project was, um, you know, regarding Putin's work in the at the External Relations Committee in St. Petersburg, uh, you know, much probably the most uh, incendiary allegations were made by Marina Salier, a local city lawmaker who uh, collected very compelling evidence about uh, shady barter deals um, that uh, Putin signed off on uh, as the head. But we wanted to kind of get away from that, and uh, you know, that's been pretty well documented. We wanted to talk about some 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 other stories. Uh, I guess what uh, really struck me about our findings in this is how little things have have really changed. Like with the cocaine story, um, you see, uh, you know, Putin's close associate, Viktor Chekisov, a a senior uh, security official for many years under Putin and, you know, one of his uh, his oldest confidants. Um, you know, spearheading this investigation of, uh, of smuggled, a massive, a, a ton of uh, smuggled cocaine, uh, and the cocaine basically just vanishes. There's no accountability. Uh, there's no. Um, there's really uh, no sense among uh, the officials that there's any need to provide any accountability about what was done with this uh, with this cocaine, even though they pledged it would be used for medical purposes. Um, and uh, and you see that, uh, you know, I think in many of the stories, we have a story about, uh, you know, one of the first known instances of bribery in Putin's committee. Um, and you have what's interesting is, again, very, very damning evidence uh, uh, against this member of Putin's uh, committee, this employee of the committee. Um, and then you have Putin's uh, um, committee itself coming out and defending this guy who eventually was uh, arrested and appears to have been, have been convicted as well. Uh, it, it is interesting to look back on these stories and think, you know, just think how unthinkable these things are uh, in today's uh, in today's Russia that a court would rule against uh, Putin's committee, or um, uh, or you know that that a newspaper would uh, would uh, basically an independent newspaper would publish a big expose of uh, uh, of Putin. I mean, we saw what happened with uh, uh, RBK, a very fine a very fine investigative newspaper that essentially was gutted after running Panama Papers uh, investigations. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like going back to a completely different world when you go and report on these stories and yet you see echoes of, uh, you know, of, of contemporary Russia under Putin's rule. Right. That, I mean, that's a very interesting point, uh, kind of this, you know, in a way Putin's been in power, uh, president or prime minister since 1999, a year after Levin Utkin's killing. Um, and the, the the very early 90s just seems like such a, 
uh, a different time. But as you're as you're saying, um, there are a lot of things that are that have not uh, not changed much. Uh, Andre, what, what would you say about uh, you know this this investigation as a whole? What struck you most? What uh, you know? How did you go about the reporting? And what do you think it says about about Russia? Uh, for this uh, project, uh, we've tried to use um, true crime uh, genre um, language and techniques uh, to deliver the story of uh, Vladimir Putin's early days to a much broader audience that are uh, usually inst- interested in uh, such stuff, uh, since it's, it's not just the stories about current Russian presidents, it's just an, it's some interesting stories about the past and the people who were involved uh, in some shady schemes. And uh, uh, the only thing that connects, uh, connects all this story is the figure of Vladimir Putin and the place, uh, St. Petersburg, early 1990s and the time, of course. But uh, in other sense, it's just uh, an interesting true crime stories. And uh, we uh, were working with var- various uh, sources uh, for this story. For instance, we have the database of all the crimes committed in St. Petersburg uh, in 1990s uh, uh, that you could get, uh, you, that you can download from Darknet these days easily. And if you just type in uh, Committee for External Relations, you will find out some first keys that for, for, for our project and for our investigation. And in, even if you type uh, Putin's uh, uh, family name uh, or Putin's close associates' family names, uh, you will find some interesting uh, information there. And also we worked with uh, archives and I was surprised how still freely in Russia, I hope none of the censors listening to this podcast, but how freely you still can get some documents from the archives. For instance, we have uh, this uh, court decision that ruled against Putin in corruption case and scam case. Uh, And uh, Putin's committee tried to argue against the judge, but they failed. And uh, we could get uh, this decision officially, easily, from the archive. And I'm wondering how many more stories are covered in this uh, um, physical archives, in these paper archives uh, in Russia. But I must say, of course, lots of the most interesting documents were lost. And if you work with the catalog, for this archive, you will not find uh, stuff like uh, um, um, uh, how, how what was the salary of Vladimir Putin and uh, uh, his full schedules uh, for the week and for the day. But still, uh, we could get uh, lots of the stories from this physical archive archives. And uh, last but not least. Uh, the people people we've talked to uh, it's quite dangerous to work with sources in Russia for obvious reasons. Uh, nobody wants to talk uh, to uh, independent journalists uh, but uh, still we could get uh, some memories from people who were directly involved 
and all of these schemes. So for me, it, it's these stories are interesting because they are not only Putin's related or corruption related. There are classic true crime stories, and we could get so many information uh, from various sources, and it's all put putting together in this puzzle of the story and atmosphere of St. Petersburg in the early 1990s. So if you uh, ever been there, you will see, smell this uh, sense of what the city looked like and people who were ruling this city uh, was what were like. Yes, absolutely. I mean that I, that's a great description. I, I think the I think the series, the investigation, really does uh, give the the feel, the scent of, of of what of what it was like back then. Two other things you said struck me. One, um, the, the just the notion, the kind of image of uh, Putin or Putin's committee trying to uh, convince a judge to do something, and the judge standing up to Putin and saying, you know, no. Uh, so that's quite a uh, probably something that doesn't happen these days. Um, and also, uh, you know, I think you, you sort of made it sound, e you know, a bit easy, I guess. Um, uh, but it really strikes me that indeed, you know, it's, it's extremely, I mean, I haven't been in Russia for several years, but even when I was, um, you know, it was getting harder and harder to, um, you know, to get information from people, uh, especially people close to power and, and to have them speak, uh, you know, speak uh, the truth and speak frankly about things that had happened, you know, in, in the past even. So, you know, I, I was very impressed by uh, the way, you know, the, the, the level of detail and the, and the, the way you were able to, to get uh, real comments from people about about the things that were going on. Uh, I will mention also, Carl mentioned the Marina Salier, the St. Petersburg lawmaker who led a uh, uh, legislative um, probe into uh, into the committee, um, and we, the the series does include kind of a sidebar on her and on that probe. But but as Carl said, I think um, you know the the meat of it is really these kind of new newly um, dug up, the newly revealed uh, stories about you know about cocaine smuggling, about um, you know about this. Uh, fraud allegations and 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 strange doings um swirling around putin so you know I, I, you know i think that's really the uh what's what's great about this um about this series now um we're getting a little bit short on time but uh and you either of you guys can can pipe up anytime if you want to say anything more but i'll i'll turn to questions um uh, at this point, and I think there's one question that's come in. Um, I think this is about uh, Anatoly Levin Utkin, uh, who is the journalist who was killed. Um, the question is, would, was this guy someone that Litvinenko might have spoken to? Uh, and that's obviously a reference to Alexander Litvinenko, um, the former uh, security service uh, officer who was poisoned with polonium-210 in uh, Britain in 2006 uh, and killed uh, that way. And I believe the British inquiry said that, uh, you know, the Russian state was almost certainly behind it. Um, so question is whether, 
Litvinenko, who was by that by the time of his death was probing into various uh, you know uh, suspicions about about Putin's rise. Whether Litvinenko might have spoken to Levin, who can so leave that to to Carl or, uh, and or Andre. As far as I know, there was no connection between uh, Litvinenko and Levin Utkin. And in 1998, uh, Litvinenko was still working for the FSB so in Moscow. So I don't think he had any interest in talking to the journalist in St. Petersburg. I see. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for that, Andre. Uh, and... Looks like we also have a question. Um, listener named Lockie Grant uh, wants to ask a question on the air. Please um, go ahead. Uh, Lockie Grant. Uh, yeah. Hi. Is your mic on? Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. So, um, I just tuned into this relatively late, so, and I found it very, very interesting discussion. Um, so I was wondering if you could post the article or the, the, the TV series or whatever it is that, that has resulted, the result of this investigation somewhere so that I can read up on it. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, it's it's on it's it's posted on the RFURL website, the the, the English uh, the English version of the investigation. Um, if you, it's also posted. Sorry, it's posted under under this Twitter space, um, and also on the on the uh, website of RFURL, which is RFURL uh, dot org. Um, if you'd like, you could also email me at guttermans at rfurl.org and I can send you a link if, if that's easier. I believe there's a way to post it in the nest just at the top of the space somehow, but I'm not quite sure how to do that. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's posted under the space. Um, sorry, I'm I'm not. Okay, now it's just been posted uh, by the moderator inside the space, a pinned tweet, um, and you can email me if if you need s uh, gutterman s at rfurl.org. Um, Let's uh, see if we have any more, any more questions for Carl and Andre. I'll just give it a few more, a uh, few more moments in case anyone uh, wants to ask anything more. Okay, um, don't see any for the moment, uh, so I will, uh, sorry, now I think I see one from uh, 
Jim Davis uh, has a question. Are you able to uh, are you able to to ask it in the space or? Uh, yeah. Hello. Thank you. Great. Uh, question. And sorry if I I get his name wrong, but uh, was that is it uh, true that uh, Litvin Tanko um, he had made some statements that Putin had done some uh, pedophilia. It's a serious question. I, I read it somewhere. And, uh, I also read uh, Putin's kleptocracy. Sorry, kleptocracy. I can try to answer this. Uh, so uh, it's true that Litvinenko claimed uh, that Putin um, um, had um, some illegal um, uh, sexual activities uh, in the uh, 1990s, but there was no proof for it. And uh, um, despite the fact that Litvinenko was very brave uh, in um, combating uh, the dictatorship, some of the stuff uh, he bring up uh, appeared to be not true, or there was no proof for claims uh, such this. And uh, um, for many years, Russian government was quite transparent, and everybody knew what kind of things going on. And the main uh, things that appeared to be true was, uh, as you mentioned, kleptocracy, uh, enormous corruption of Russian government. But uh, other criminal activities, uh, I don't think we will ever be able to prove this. And I think we must concentrate on stuff that we can prove, not only claims by people who did not provide any evidence for this. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you. G great answer. Okay. Uh, I see a, uh, another question from Lockheed Grant. Is that a new question? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, so I was, I was given, uh, I was wondering what the, um, what the contributors thoughts were regarding uh, the level of cryptocurrency. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's having trouble saying that word. Kleptocracy. Yeah, kleptocracies. Sorry. Uh, and and how that system may have sort of kind of got out of control in the end and 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 stopped being as effective as it once was, and and then that being a contributing factor to Putin invading the Ukraine. I mean, I can try and field this one. Um, uh, you know, as far as the kleptocracy is concerned, I think what you see from the from the very beginning, even from the early years that we covered in this investigative project, uh, is uh, you know Putin very much used his positions. Um, you know, became kind of a patron for a network of uh, of friends and associates uh, who, under his rule, became extremely wealthy, and this was uh, due in large part to access to government contracts. Um, 
and you know these uh, these people became fabulously wealthy and um, you know if there's evidence at least presented in um, investigations by Alexei Navalny and and others that in kind of a quid pro quo a lot of these associates uh, you know allegedly became the holders of you know what is essentially Putin's uh, Putin's wealth even though there's you know it's not in his name um, so uh, you know when we talk about kleptocracy under Putin it's um, you know, it's 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 very much that he has uh, used his uh, his position and his influence to enable a you know a small group of uh, of insiders to become uh, extremely wealthy. And Putin's not necessarily uh, you know, necessarily unique in this. I mean, this was going on in the Yeltsin years as well. Um, but uh, of course, Putin's been in power for uh, two decades now, and uh, you know, there's really no sign that um, that this trend that is, uh, has been a hallmark of his entire uh, political life uh, is going to slow down. Thanks, Paul. I think that's a great overview of, of the situation, really, with kleptocracy and with, uh, with Putin's rule. Um, it's a good note, but uh, if anyone else has any questions, we'd be happy to, happy to respond. I was wondering if I could ask a follow-up there, if that's possible. Yes, go ahead, please. So you, you addressed the, the kleptocracy in the early years of, of Putin's um, administration uh, in St. Petersburg and, and, and in later years. But uh, with regard to whether or not this type of uh, kleptocratic system might start to disintegrate after a period of time and, and if there's been any signs of that that you might know of. Well, I mean, I, I would just say, I don't know if Carl or Andre wants to address, but I would say, uh, you know, the, the Western sanctions imposed after the um, imposed after the invasion of Ukraine you know, is obviously a test, a test of, of that system, of Putin's system. And and the invasion was apparently a decision that he that he made, you know, essentially by himself or with uh, only only a small, small group of a handful of people. Uh, involved. So, you know, anyone on the outside of that is, I guess, uh, you know, having to having to kind of scramble and, and think how they want to react. So I think it's a sort of a the next year and then the next few years will be uh, kind of a big test of, of Putin's uh, system and the way he keeps, um, you know, keeps people in line, I guess. Yeah, I would just add that I think the the you know the the most difficult part I think for the for the system that Putin himself has created is that it really runs just uh you know it's been created in such a way that he's the only person who can really steer it and you know he's not going to live forever he's not going to be in power forever and how uh you know how the system will manage uh Putin's exit whether you know by death or by you know whether he steps down um you know i think that's when things um could become chaotic and you can see uh, you know a very destabilized situation all right thanks carl and that uh you know the investigation uh this uh 
took us back to the early 90s, uh, Putin's first days and years in politics. Uh, and now that uh, response uh, you know, takes us into the future. Uh, so I think it's a good, uh, it's a good uh, note to, to wrap this up. Um, so Andre, Carl, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Steve. All right. Uh, once again, I've been speaking to Carl Schreck, enterprise editor here at RFERL, and Andrei Soshnikov, investigative journalist and web editor for Current Time. They were um, among the main uh, creators of uh, a quite in-depth um, investigative project um, called The Committee Men about Putin's early years in politics uh, uh, in St. Petersburg. Um, as the head of the city's external relations committee uh, and all the things that happened that, at that time. Um, so I do recommend uh, reading this, this project. The, the stories are very, very engaging um, and informative. Uh, and my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus at RFERL. on Friday. Thanks for listening.